0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
1: Welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Steve Hilton. He's the host of the podcast California Rebel Base, or maybe you see him on Fox regularly, The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton. Steve, welcome back to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Great
2: to be back with you.
1: Yeah, I hope I'm not uh, doing something I shouldn't do here and cut me off if I am. But I was looking over your Wikipedia page and some of your bio. No, and I, Please. And
2: there's, a, there's a lot of, what do they call it, misinformation. There's a lot of misinformation on that. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's funny. We one time had uh, we had somebody get onto our page that I had once killed a man <laughs> just to see if we could do it. And I haven't, by the way. And uh, it was on our Wikipedia page for a long time. So, yeah, Wikipedia isn't always correct. But some of the stuff that I found really, really interesting mm-hmm. as we were going to talk about this is that your parents fled Hungary during the 1956 yeah. revolution, fleeing the Russians, the Soviet Union, and, uh, and yeah. went to England. And then you know, the other part of the story is um, how you lived uh, early on in your childhood, not, not a, a wealthy or even middle-class upbringing, which is a different thing I want to talk about. But let's start with some of your attitudes, and I'm sure your parents' yeah. attitudes about Russians and the Soviet Union
2: well it's, i mean it, it, it's even more interesting actually in the in the context of ukraine um, I was talking to my my mother's back in England now she 's Hungarian um, as you mentioned my father who's no longer with us. He's also Hungarian. And in fact, my stepfather is Hungarian as well. And and he was a refugee. He ran across the border, running away from the Russians as well in 1956. So the whole family background is there. Most of my family still live in Hungary, Hmm. in a small town on, on the south of the country. But the thing that I was reminded of the other day, and I hadn't really put these things together, I was talking to my mother, who's back in England, about what's going on in Ukraine. And I always knew where she, you know, cause I, I remember seeing it on her passport when I was a kid and looking at stuff and whatever. And I remember the place where she was born was a town called Berksas, um, which is a Hungarian name. Um, and that's where she was born. And she reminded me that actually that town is now called Beregovo and it's literally in Ukraine. That's where she was born. It's right on the border. It's in a, in a Hungarian, ethnically Hungarian part of Ukraine. Um, all those borders were have been sort of messed around with over the years, mm-hmm. especially in the 20th, 20th century. She told me a story that when she was a little girl, she remembered incredibly clearly um, the her father, my grandfather, suddenly rushing, um, bundling them into a car, her and her brother, an old you know rickety car that they had, and just with, with at a moment's notice driving away. Because, and this is a phrase I heard all the time when I was a kid growing up, that in Hungarian means they're coming like the Russians. And literally, she remembers this phrase, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming, we've got to get away. Because they had heard stories of the atrocities that had been committed. This is in the middle of the Second World War, this is, I think in 1944. So, you know, a lot of bad things happening. Um, across europe at that time but they had heard about the atrocities committed by the russians and they were they were they were running away that was even before the communist takeover of hungary so all this is very personal to me exactly as you say
1: that's really interesting because we were talking to a a, uh mike lyons earlier who among other things is a military historian talking about the culture of the Russian military. And these pictures we're seeing in videos of things that the Russian military is doing, they are doing under Putin. They did under Stalin. They did under the czars. And there are many areas of that part of the world that probably have in their language some sort of the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming, saying that goes back centuries because of the Russians coming and just, you know, raping, pillaging, murdering, doing the things they're doing now.
2: Yeah, total brutality. It is part of the mindset of the Russian military, um, and then of course, you know, a few, few years after that story that I mentioned, uh, you, you had the situation in '56 where the, um, the, the, the the it happened all over again, and you had a government of, um, the, uh, in in Hungary that was trying to get free of the communist rule, um, and then the people, and then the, and funnily enough, the other the other thing that I learned through all of this, you know, you go back and study history, the the revolution in Hungary. Uh, was started by a group of students in the town where my family now lives, Seget, a small town in Hungary. I spent you know, many years of my childhood there. We used to go back there all the time. And that's where the 56 revolution started. And within, week, with you know, I think it was just over a week, actually, it spread to the whole country. And then very rapidly, with, they wouldn't, didn't even let it get going for a month. The Russians came back in again. and The tanks were sent in. You go around Budapest today, the capital city, and all over the country, all over the place. You see the bullet marks still in the buildings. Um, you see people and talk to people who have all those stories of, 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 the, of the, again the same thing—the the terror that is imposed by the Russians. Now, fortunately, in the sense of loss of life and and all these atrocities, the Hungarian uprising—I'm I'm afraid they crushed it very quickly. So, you know, in a sense, there wasn't time for them to 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 do the kind of barbaric um, extended. Um, you know, uh, terrorizing of a country that you're seeing happen now in Ukraine. But this is part of the Russian military story. That's exactly right and has been for centuries.
1: We have some breaking news here, Steve Hilton, that I'm sure will be welcome to you as it is to me. I can't believe it actually happened. The U.N. has actually voted to kick Russia out of the Human Rights Council.
0: That's
2: somewhat of a miracle. uh, It is laughable. I understand why you laugh.
1: I understand why you laugh. The fact that they are on the Human Rights Council and had a vote over the last six weeks is freaking amazing. But they have been suspended now from being able to participate in that. Thank God.
2: Yes. I mean, the Human Rights Council is a joke. I mean, well, look, the whole of the U.N. um, is a joke. Uh, It's completely ineffective on anything that really matters. And, of course, it's a vast, corrupt bureaucracy. And I've, I've, I've pointed out the various details of that many times, and people are very aware of it. But, look, we should be, what's the phrase, thankful for small mercies. Right. That's that's something, of course.
1: Um, so, so finding out your background, this makes this question even better, because I was going to just use the fact that you're from England, but the fact that your parents were even closer to Russia and dealt with what they dealt with. We are, uh, you, you live in the United States now. We are so fortunate, those of us in the United States, that you know we've had the protection we've had all these years, but it gives us a different mindset. I mean, I, I tell my kids all the time, because they get worried seeing the news sometime, and I think there's zero chance some country's going to come into our town, all right? That's never going to happen. And it isn't. We actually don't have to worry about it in the way that practically every other country on Earth has had to worry about it, um, yeah. uh, and including in recent years. So how much different it is it for whether it's Brits or the French or the Germans, or the closer you get to the border, the more it matters, uh, how how different it is for them and their politics.
2: Well, it feels very, I mean, uh, one thing that's that's true is the the geographic proximity does make a difference. And you're seeing that even within NATO. So one of the things that's really interesting, if you look at what's happening over the last few weeks, people say oh, isn't it great to see, you know, the West has sort of rallied around, Biden's rallied NATO, rallied NATO. A, there? That's completely false. Um, and the, and there's, there's many different ways in which it's false. Number one, Biden hasn't done anything to rally anyone. The person that's, in a sense, rallied the West is Putin. It's in response to Putin. That's happened. Biden's been behind the curve on all of the, every single step of the way, and, and, and hasn't led uh... in any sense to make that make this response real but even within nato what's interesting is there isn't unanimity there is not an a kind of single clear consistent point of view because what you're seeing within nato is the countries that are closer to the russian threat and those who really have vividly experienced it Especially in the last uh, century or so, and where, where you have people who can still remember what happened in the Second World War, so the Baltic states, for example, Poland, for example, they and Czechoslovak- and the Czech Republic, for example, I think have just been sending tanks and armored vehicles. You know, be much more forward-leaning in standing up to the threat than the uh, the ones further away, like like the French, for example. Mm. And so I think even within NATO, you have you have a difference. Then it's the proximity that that makes a difference. I should point out, by the way, that I'm not just live here now. I'm I'm maybe, I can't remember who discussed this before. I'm actually now an American. I got my citizenship last year, which I was absolutely proud uh, to do. So I'm a proud American now. And one of the things I think is really interesting is that throughout history, certainly in in the last century or so, in the end, it has been American leadership, despite the fact, as you say, that America itself is not under threat it has been american leadership that has faced down some of these threats around the world and has and america's been in the lead and that's the argument i've been making all along which is actually the reason that america is the world's leading nation the reason that we have the world's highest standard of living all these things that, that, that we are so fortunate to have and i feel especially fortunate to benefit from and as a new citizen all of these things stem from the fact that America has led on everything. And I think there's a real connection between standing up to threats to freedom around the world and our economic leadership, and our, because it all goes together in this notion of America leading. America is the leading nation because America leads. And I think that's what you're really um, missing here in terms of, of, of the Biden regime, which I don't think has led nearly as clearly as we would have liked.
1: A, a complete switch of directions that caught so my can attention. I just make at, one
2: more point on this, sure. because if we if we there's another really important part of this Ukraine story, I think, that that is not discussed enough. And it's another example of where I think the Biden people are just completely failing, which is the fact that this whole um, the, the, the barbarism, the atrocities, everything we're seeing, from, it's enabled by China. That's it. Would this could be closed down immediately with one phone call from Xi Jinping. He is absolutely behind this. He's supporting this. So we see all of this outrage about what we're seeing. And of course, that's justified. And You've got corporate America. We're leaving Russia. We're pulling out. They're still doing business with China. They're still sucking up to Xi Jinping, as is the Biden regime. And so unless we get serious about the China component of this, nothing's really going to change.
1: So um I've got two minutes, and this is a complex question, but I want to hear your answer. So I'm reading over your Wikipedia bio, and uh, it looks like there was some struggle early in your life. Uh, your parents separated, your mom's working at a shoe store, uh, dependent yes. on state benefits, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. You lived in a cold, damp basement apartment. I'm always interested in how people come to their political worldview. So a lot of people who come out of a background like you end up being, and that's why I believe in big government and big safety nets and more money for the poor and all that sort of stuff. How did you come out of that background with your more right-leaning political view?
2: Well, it's interesting because I, it, it, as well as, as that, um, my stepfather, who I mentioned earlier was Hungarian, um was also, you know, he was a refugee um, from Hungary, ended up in a refugee camp in, in the north of England, and then, in fact, he came from a rural part of Hungary, hadn't really had a formal education, so and certainly didn't speak English, and so he ended up um, working on a construction site, and then, you know, made some money and ended up with a small, um, you know, self, he was a self-employed construction worker, had a little business, and so on. And I just remember growing up so clearly um, in our house, and it was the time of Margaret Thatcher, it was the 1980s, and there's this, really, I think I've written about this in, in one of my books, but there's this really, really simple phrase that um, that stuck with me, that my stepfather would say, where he would talk about the political part, and they weren't particularly political, they weren't obsessed about politics, but there was something, that he would, they loved, he loved Margaret Thatcher, and the idea, and so did my mother, and the idea was, it was very simple, which is that Mrs. Thatcher is for people who worked hard, and wanted to get on, and uh-huh. that's how self-identified. As did my mother. You work, right? You you try and do the best you can for your family. And they made a lot of sacrifices for me and for my education and my ability to to, to get where I am today. But I never forget where I came from. So I could, that's the other point I make. I mean, people I sometimes talk about myself as a, you know, in sympathy with some of the populist arguments and condemning the elite and so on. And say, oh, what well, you're in the elite, elite. Look at you now. You like on TV and all this kind of life you live. That's exactly right. But I, I always remember where I came from. And it's this idea of working hard and supporting people who work hard. And I remember also my stepfather saying the Labour Party, as it was the equivalent of the Democrats in the UK back then, um, the Labour Party, for the layabouts. There's this phrase that I always remember growing up as a kid, the layabouts. People who just lay about and expect the government to, um, you know, give them money. Instead of working, and that was just a strong, hardworking culture that I grew up in, and so
1: awesome. I'm afraid we I'm afraid we're out of time. I'm glad I asked, and I'm glad I got that answer because I always wonder how you know people come to their worldview, and that's yours. And we have the same haircut, so that's Steve Hilton, <laughs> who has the <laughs> podcast California Rebel Base, and you can see him in the next Revolution with Steve Hilton on Fox regularly. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate it.
2: Great to be with you.
1: Recently on the A and G One More Thing podcast.
0: Jack, this is roughly the equivalent of carrying around 224 slices of bacon in your body. Well, that's wait, the wait a minute.
1: regular what bacon weighs measurement that we all use.
0: The Armstrong and Getty. One More Thing podcast. What? Hear it on the iHeart app or wherever you listen to podcasts.